So I'm gonna go ahead and jump in. Welcome back everybody to another episode of Collaborative Effort. This is a uh, special episode for me. Uh, this gentleman and myself, we go back very, very far. He was, I think, the assistant manager at my very, maybe my second job ever. <laughs> and this is before I, yep, before I could even drive. Um, but I have with me none other than a young man named Jason Latham. Um, go ahead and tell them a little bit about yourself and then I'll, I'll double back to like our relationship through the years. Well, I guess, like he said, we, I managed him at finish line, which, um, like encouraged my sneakerheadness back in mm -hmm. the day and has continued to encourage that, um, Grew up in Omaha, shout out to Omaha, Nebraska. Mm -hmm. shout, out to my, shout out to the hometown, live in Kansas City now. Um, some people want me to say home of the Super Bowl champions, which they are. I mean, true. last major sports championship before the world shut down. This is very true. And um, I've just been down here doing my thing for the last, I've lived here about 15 years now, man. Wow, yeah, time I, flies. Okay. Yeah. So uh, a lot of the conversation is all right if I show this to the camera. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so a lot of this conversation that we talk about will be uh, inter interwoven through this book, which I have an early copy of of Jason's. It's called uh, Darkness Birds Light, and so Jason and I orig originally met the way that we told, but we reconnected right as I was leaving or getting ready to leave Nebraska to come out to LA to pursue everything. Um, because he had approached me with the manuscript and we were trying to transcribe it into a movie script. So we were in connect in, in collaboration and connection for a couple of years trying to get that done. It did not happen. Uh, you know, honestly, I'll, I'll say I was very early on in my career. I, I remember showing it to some people early on. And, and, and now I look back and see where I could have done better on my end. But I think it's all part of a learning experience. But here we are. Kind of come full circle um you have this book that's coming out now um and, and now we're on the podcast and video talking about it so uh, let's start out just just kind of i want you to kind of give us a, not the summary of the book but there are going to be certain points that i want you to kind of touch on mm -hmm. um so so i know this what really like drew me in when you um i think it was like a, from Mississippi, what's it called? From the cotton fields of Mississippi. So you break it down that your story didn't start with you. It started originally with your mother, and you kind of explain how your relationship was with her, how a lot of what she dealt with kind of trickled down with you, and then even your relationship with your father um, kind of in, influenced a lot of how you saw yourself and how you conducted yourself. Can you speak on that a little bit? Because I understand that specifically myself, but I want to hear from you. This is your well, book. Well, I feel like everything that we experience um it all starts even before we get here like those seeds are planted like my i'm the first generation of my family that didn't have to pick cotton i mean that's something wow. that i don't i can't ignore that say hey say that one more time Let's say it i'm again. the first generation of my family that didn't have to pick cotton now, now explain that because I know what that means from the book, but explain that how how that actually works time wise. So my uh, my mom was born in 1950, and when she was born, my grandfather and my grandmother were sharecroppers, so they mm -hmm. were living on someone else's land, um, basically I mean farming, but they weren't being able to take full advantage of those proceeds, mm -hmm. and my mom and her siblings would have to miss school at times to pick cotton wow. 
Yeah, that is crazy. Okay, so go ahead. So you, you were saying, you know, it starts from there. You were the first of your generation not pick cotton. Right. right. And with her growing up in the 50s, 60s, and, se- and early 70s in Mississippi, well, I mean, think about what state I just said, Mississippi, and they had colored and white water fountains, segregated schools, the mm-hmm. whole time. Um, when you grow up in that environment, I mean, we're experiencing just a taste of some of the racism that she experienced back then. Mm-hmm. And that stuff is traumatic. Absolutely. And I've re- done some studies where those kind of traumas can pass through, like, the the genes. Um, mm-hmm. It's not intentional, but it happens. Like, my mom had ex- has had the water hoses sprayed on her. I mean, she's been exposed to trying to integrate a movie theater and having to be so quiet, but then the white the white dude like puts ice down her back just so she just so you know they can disrupt that. Being in a, a building where the police are looking for the black looking for black people, just those kind of things can trigger anxiety. I mean, mm-hmm. the look the police are looking for you with flashlights. Those kind of things are going to be traumatic. Absolutely. So think uh, you have those experiences and those carry with you. And then you have kids. Mm -hmm. And your kids are going to have their own experiences. But I mean, some of the decisions that you even make as a parent are going to be influenced by some of those traumas that you had as a young, young woman growing up in Mississippi. Right, 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 and it's so crazy. I um, like I, I don't. I'm just gonna speak from my what I'm assuming because we haven't had a conversation about this. But I, I think, especially how your book starts out, and then the you know some of the stuff that we'll get to next. I think the timing is so interesting because I don't think you had any intention on speaking on, or or making such a large talking point about your book like a lot of the, the racial injustice and those interactions, but it just so happens that you're, you're about to put it out and release it in a time when this is all, I mean, it's always been in the forefront for us, but for society as a whole, it's all at the forefront. So you kind of get to narrate a lot of things and, and put a lot of those things in perspective when, in a time when people are listening and, and allowing things to be put in perspective. So I think this is, you know, and then of course, when we're talking about anxiety and mental health and depression and everything else that for every reason across the board, this book is important, but go ahead. Yeah, and I didn't have that intention, but I did want to give a, the voice of an African-American male what mm-hmm. we might be experiencing through this time. I mean, there's been a lot of great voices that have come out of me, like everyone from LeBron to Steven Jackson, um, like you know, Shannon Sharps and things, people of that nature. They have mm-hmm. a, a much larger platform, but, and those are great. Don't get me wrong. However, there's a, there's room for people, brothers like you and my, you and I, who right. don't have that great of a scope, but mm-hmm. we still have a circle of, circle of, can have an influence on around us. And we Absolutely. have the, the gift of podcasting now where we can help spread that message to other people and give a perspective from, I mean, I'm a, I work 40 hours a week, just like the next man, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I mean, 
I, I, I need a few more zeros behind my paycheck, but I don't have it. So I got, mm -hmm. I have some different anxieties that I deal with financially. And I, so I just wanted to give a voice to the dude that people in the trenches, know, not, the, not the basketball star. I mean, again, and those voices are amazing. Don't get me wrong. I have so much appreciation for that because they're saying they have to use their platform for good. I just wanted to give the voice of, you know, from the streets, you know what I'm saying? Right, right, right. Okay, so let's jump back into um, kind of how your mom's upbringing and then just the household that you grew up in, especially when your stepfather came into the picture, how that kind of informed who you were and how you carried yourself. And when my stepfather came into the picture, it was, um, that was during a time when my mom was raised in an era that you didn't like, question your husband mm -hmm. so i mean she was submissive i mean both people i mean they both worked and they both had a, they both had goals to provide for us um i just knowing what i know about my stepdad now or i call him my dad i will call him my stepdad knowing what i know about him now i understand more why he was the way that he was because as black men, there's not, there wasn't just, there's just, he didn't grow up with the pats on the back. Right. Like that. He didn't grow up with somebody telling him, you can go to college, you can go do this, you can go do that. The way he grew up was more like, you're going to graduate, get a job, or you're going to go into the military. Yep. Yeah, no, no. He, your, your stepfather, your, your, your dad sounds a lot like mine, just even in the reading and, and everything else. So I understand completely. Go ahead. Yeah, and, and I mean, he raised us hard, and I mean, it wasn't from a place of just not a. There wasn't a lack of love. There wasn't a a, a a feeling of you know I don't like you as a person. It was I have to prepare you. Absolutely. And because I love you, I have to do this just to make sure that I you have can to survive. prepare you. And the methods. I mean, I didn't always agree with looking back on it, though. I mean, and being able to see things from his perspective, which I wasn't able to do as a kid. Mm -hmm. I've seen that we do what we see. We see. Right. If we're physically disciplined as kids, we're probably going to physically discipline our kids. I mm -hmm. mean, that's not right, wrong or indifferent. That's just what is. Yeah. If we were spoken to a certain way as kids, we're probably going to speak to our kids that way. And until we have someone to teach us better or teach mm -hmm. us different, I mean, that's what we're going to do, what we've seen. Oh, absolutely. My, one of my friends out here, he's always around when my nephew is around. I always tell him, like, I'm actively like my dad always had a quick temper. And he's quick to snap. So I'm not like that with most people, but we all have certain people that push a button. So I'm that way with my nephew. And I tell my friend, like, I try not to do it. But I catch myself more often than not. It's like he'll say something, and I, and I snap right back. I'm like, all right, this is this is my dad coming out. I, mean, I got to try to work on this. But you know, we all we all have our tests and our, our areas and, and things that challenge us to grow. So yeah, I, I definitely understand that. Right, and, and I'm so grateful for him now, just because of the fact that when I talk of when I have making decisions in my life, I don't have to think about what he would do i already know what he would do just from watching it and like there's a story i put it in the book like 
he had a generator in the house. So where the power went out at one summer, one of those summers I spent working in the garage, mm -hmm. like he taught us how to, taught us how to work the, the generator. Like, I important. mean, I was always paying, I mean, I may have been quiet, but I was always paying attention. Mm -hmm. So one night the power goes out, almost on reflex, I had the generator going. Right. And that's one of those things like when you're young, like you don't value those lessons, but the older you get or when you get thrown in that situation, like, ah, I can appreciate this now. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So um, I know we were just talking before we went, went on how um, one of the parts in your book you, you spoke on, which is really like pertinent today is like you, how you lived, like you were of age to really know what was going on during the, the, the during 92 with the whole Rodney King thing and how it's eerily similar to like what we're seeing right now. Right. right. And, and there's a documentary, uh, I just saw Netflix, I think it's hit on Hulu, like LA 92, that mm -hmm. goes into great detail on that. And just thinking about that time in the country, um, first of all, thinking about the first time I saw that video, I mean, I had no idea that that was even happening. Right. But NWA was telling us it was happening back on straight out of Compton. That's true. <laughs> I mean, they were telling us about everything from racial, from driving while black to police brutality, but people didn't like the package that it was coming in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they were telling you, I mean, and then you fast forward, Ice Cube was telling you, you know, it's a day that they all hate. Just think when when we decide to retaliate. Yep. It, it, in 1992, when that verdict came down, people decided to retaliate and look what happened. Yep. It's crazy that I, I kind of how well on a lot of levels things come full circle because obviously we're going through the same thing at that time. But now I, I remember being really, really little and my nephew's mother my oldest sister she was actually living out here so like i remember like my family being concerned for her and all that and on and now ironically almost 20 years later i'm out here my family's like oh are you okay and then her son's out here um but yeah it's it's eye-opening and sad to see that you know sometimes as much as things change things don't really change a lot yeah and it's like how many more rodney kings may he rest in peace and, and george floyd's i mm -hmm. mean where the list just goes on and on and on. And at one point I'm like, when you turn on the TV and you see another one, it's like, right. you can't get numb to that. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and it sucks just, I mean, it's a blessing of technology to be able to see it. Mm -hmm. I mean, cause they say it's not like it's happening. It's supposedly not happening anymore. It's just being televised more, but I don't know the stats for that, but it, it is sad. But I, I think, if nothing else, no matter what people might want to say, the fact of what we've seen, the response that we've seen in recent months shows that, especially this current generation, like they're not becoming numb to it. Like they're actually responding to it in a way that they should. I mean, I'm not going to justify everything that's happened, but, you know, they're taken to the streets and mostly uh, peacefully protesting. And, and that like that is like something that kind of warms my heart to see just because after a while, like I, I, I can't become numb to like seeing a black man be killed, but I have kind of accepted like, okay, this is the reality that I live in. I just have to learn to navigate it. But 
like seeing these younger kids, it makes me realize like, yo, this is, this may be the reality, but this is the, this is not the reality we should accept. So right. like that has inspired me to think from that mindset rather than just accepting it. So yeah, it's, I've definitely appreciate all they're doing because, you know, it is easy. The older you get to be stuck in your ways, to be jaded. And like you said, sometimes to become numb to things. So this is, this has definitely been inspiring yeah. on a lot of levels. It is so inspiring and it's so encouraging to have like, you know, white brothers and sisters coming alongside and, you know, like when you have other countries coming alongside. Yeah. I mean, that was huge. And seeing this and and like kneeling and things of that nature. It's so encouraging to see that because, I mean, I think as a world, people, we just had enough. Mm hmm. And that is, I mean, it, it's sad that it takes things like George Floyd and Trayvon Martin and things of that. It, I mean, I can, can't name everybody, but I mean, we, right. know, we all know the names. It's sad that it takes all of this to bring us together, but I'm a believer that God works everything out for good. And I mean, we can't let this bloodshed be in vain. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so um, so kind of moving forward in your book and into another pressing issue for everybody, but especially like black men, not just black men, but just just something that is not spoken among spoken enough amongst um, us and especially black men is mental health, anxiety, like you were t- t- uh, touching on before, and depression. Um, we touched on a lot of that in your early manuscript when we were trying to turn it into a screenplay and a lot in this book. Um, what could you share? Like, just give us kind of like a little bit of your backstory on how you realized that you were dealing with anxiety and depression and then some of the things that you did to kind of find treatment or find how to deal with it and work with it in your own way. Um, I found out about it, like, really for the first time my senior year of high school. I mean... Mm-hmm. On the outside, I'm class president, you know, I'm getting scholarship offers, I'm getting opportunities and options to go to different, I mean, all kinds of colleges, Michigan, Georgetown, and ended up at Creighton, which is also a great school, I mean, all these options. But on the inside, I felt, I didn't feel like living. I mean, in the book I referenced, like, having this vision of running my car to a light bulb. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know where that came from, but I knew it wasn't a good place. Right. So, I, I mean, that's when I first discovered that there was something going on because, I mean, growing up in a black household, you don't really talk about that kind of stuff, you know? Not at all. You don't Not talk about it. I mean, when you talk about mental illness in a black household, you're more likely to talk about the lady that stands at her window and just is yelling all day mm-hmm. and, and how she's got some kind of problem or she's touching the head as opposed to the person that lays in bed all day for days right. on end, doesn't get up, doesn't shower, barely eats, barely says a word. We're more likely to just talk about that person as yelling and making an outward example than that person has turned inward and isn't saying anything. Yeah, it is very common for people to kind of pick and choose what things they want to acknowledge and what they don't. 
And, yeah. I, and I've always noticed there's definitely a culture of, and, I, and I've been part of it too, and just kind of joking around at times, but like to just dismissive terms, like, oh, that person's crazy. And, and, and not even understanding the, 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 the yeah. real definition and the impact of saying that to somebody and, and not really, but I think part of it is not being aware, not being taught to really identify and understand when somebody is dealing with something to um, even be able to really help them or, or, or work, be there for them in it, you know? So that's yeah. definitely something that I'm, I'm happy now because, you know, what you're going to speak on in your book, when you see like um, Charlemagne with his books, like, cause you know, it's so crazy. Like I knew, I knew early, early on, like junior high, I dealt with depression, but like, I didn't even realize I never really fully understood what anxiety was or knew that I dealt with it till two years ago. And that's so crazy. That's like a decade span, you know, but it's just one of those things. And once I could realize that, like, I remember, um, and this is just one of the few things that I'll share because this is about you, but I remember in, I was living here for sure. Um, but like having issues like breathing in my sleep. And I, I had to see so many, talk to so many different people about it to realize what it was. Like even, I think they say sometimes with anxiety, you will stop breathing and hold your breath and not even know it. And I was doing that when I was awake. And then it happens, it started, I did it so much that it would start happening in my sleep and then I would wake up gasping for air. And like that, that scared the hell out of me because I didn't know what it was. But to realize that and just how many things I would allow me to be in my head and then how anxiety not in a good way but anxiety and depression can go hand in hand and it's just a, a, a swirling thing so yeah so for me to even for somebody for me that was lucky enough to realize that I was dealing with depression like I still didn't realize the other end of the the other half of it which was anxiety until a decade or so later so I, I say that to say there are a lot of people that are young or adults that probably have no idea that they may be dealing with these things so that's why this book and these conversations are so important absolutely they're important because we 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 call so many things something else i mean mm -hmm. we call like i mean being we call certain things a bad attitude which in some ways it is but if it goes but that's it, a, that's a symptom of something larger yeah if it if it if it, it's a it's a you got to get to the root cause of the thing in order to make some kind of change. It's like, we all have bad days, but if you just kind of yourself waking up, just expecting just something horrible every day, I mean, you might need to talk to somebody. And when we- and that's, another, up, that's another part of it, is actually letting people know that it's okay to talk to somebody about it. Like it's one thing, cause I, I'm, I'm, all, I'm always big on, like I have these conversations with my friends and and we talk about all the time, like, I'm all for identifying problems, but you can't just harp on the problem. You have to start exactly. creating and suggesting solutions. Exactly. So, go ahead. And that's what I'm trying to do is start the conversation be like, okay, you, you know something's wrong. It's like, this is what you can do. I mean, I've done everything from, let's just take it to church for a minute. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, people try to lay hands on you and, and do the quick healing and stuff like that and cast stuff out of you and whatnot. I'm not saying I'm against that. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not <laughs> against that. But there are times when you got to put in the work to Absolutely. get your healing. I mean, Absolutely. I mean, and, I, and I'm a firm believer that while we are supposed, I mean, I grew up in the church too, so while we were supposed to lean on, on and into God for things like he did 
give us the wherewithal and the ability to do a lot for ourselves. So I think there's a balance to that in life. And he put people here on earth that he gave people mm -hmm. education to help us get through those things. I mean, so, I mean, we can be trusting in God by trusting in other people to that he's put on this earth and given not certain knowledge that we don't have to mm -hmm. get, I mean, to prescribe medicine if need be, to tell you to make changes to your diet. I mean, with all this stuff on the news going on, sometimes you got to turn it off. Absolutely. Because it can trigger you. I know it's triggered me on, on oh, for sure. where I'm like, okay, I got to turn this off because I mean, I know he's gotten shot. I know that, I mean, but then a certain things that certain people say in response to it are just so they, yeah, they, they're they not going to sit well with you. They, they're not going to sit well with me. So it's like, I have to, I mean, we're in this time of quarantine. I have to quarantine myself from that negativity. Yeah, and not only, not only that, we are just in the age of information overload. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it, it doesn't matter what or when. If you open yourself up to it, whether it's social media, whether it's the news, whether it's anything, like you're, you're going to be, you can't allow yourself to be overloaded. So it's it's right. learning moderation and and that just and those things just like everything else. Right. So um, back to treatment. You when you're going through getting trying different, yep. The when you're going through finding medicines, I mean. Medicine, I believe, is a part of treatment. Mm -hmm. It may not be for everybody. I know it is for me, but when I say it's a part of it, it I mean a part, not the right. be-all, end-all. I mean, if you're not on the right medicine, talk to your doctor about it and tell him, hey, I'm feeling it, him or her, excuse me, I'm feeling this, I'm feeling that, because you have to take an active role in your own healing. If you want to have sustained results, you can't just say this works and and move on when it doesn't work. Again, that's another thing. We grew up in a time where you just took the doctor's word and didn't question. Right. And and not only that, but a lot of us a lot of us may not have had the resources to seek a second opinion or to follow up and, and compare that information with anybody else or to know any better to know to do so. So that's just one of those things where, you know, now that we, now that we have the time and not all of us, not all of us have more resources than they did before, but at least with the, the advent of the internet and information being out there, uh, like for me, I will keep going back. So I think the biggest thing is just changing the, creating the awareness and changing the conversation. Cause it's one of those things where even for me up until a few, like I've only seen a therapist like a few, like a handful of times, but even talking about it up until a few years ago, didn't feel like it was even something cool to say. Now I'm like, Hey, I, I mean, if I, I would love to go see a therapist right now. Just, it's not in the budget, but also like, I'm, I'm well, I was going to, I was going to say, I'm not in, I'm not in a, in a space where I need it, but one thing somebody told me is like the thing is you need to you should be seeing somebody before you fall into those spaces to prevent yes. you from going in those spaces. But yeah. go ahead, go ahead. That might be. Oh, I was just agree, I was just agreeing with you, bro. I mean, I mean, I was gonna let you. I, you was rolling, so I was just agreeing. <laughs> I was like, yes, you know, like you know, like when when you I mean, when the preacher's preaching, you just like, come on, preach. <laughs> nah, I'm gonna, you, you, I'm gonna let you preach today. 
Nah, brother, this is a, this is a this is a collaboration. I mean, That's but true. you're right. You have to be. You can be proactive. There are things that you can do proactively to prevent these things. And one of those things, if therapy isn't in the in the budget, so to speak, I mean, you can. There's people you can talk to. I mean, mm-hmm. there's free therapy out there, you know. But um, I think that we came through. In a, we came up in a time when, again, we just didn't talk about that. And it just wasn't, it's, while I'm so grateful that we're at a time where the conversation is more open, like, I mean, it always comes back to basketball with me. Like, Mm -hmm. I remember when Kendall Gill said something about it back in like 94. And then a couple of years ago, it was Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan now that have come out and mentioned things about it. It's like, it's great that the conversation is happening now and mm-hmm. there's more awareness around it because my pastor said something in this last series he was doing behind the mad there's always the sad i mean so mm-hmm. even with like with the protesting and the riots and the anger we're seeing there there's sad the response it's a yeah it's a response to sadness i mean over just more senseless death mm-hmm. well i mean we have to get to where we have to learn to get beyond just the anger and address the sadness that's in there absolutely well before i i really want to talk like just you and I on, on this level solutions. But before we do that, we got to We got to get to some more sadness, which kind of brings us full, like pretty much up to date on everything. Um, I think due to the timing of your book, uh, when I seen in there, you said 24 days later, you kind of you close an epilogue speaking on the death and passing of Kobe and me knowing you. I know, like you said, basketball has always been a big part of your life. And I know um, you you held Kobe in high regards up there with with very few others. So mm-hmm. um, I I want to well no let's let's talk about that first and then I'll say what I was gonna say. But let's just talk about how you closed the book out and what that moment in time kind of meant to you. That moment in time, it it is still there's still those moments where it just doesn't seem like we're living in reality because it was just so out of nowhere. I mean, mm-hmm. we're not used to seeing our our legends like cut down, even though we have seen it happen before with like Tupac and Biggie and things of that nature and people of that mm-hmm. nature. Um, for but me- even, even those I feel like were a little not, and I don't want to use the word, they were all, they almost say justifiable, but more understandable because it's, a, it's an action and a reaction. Like even something like, yeah. I don't want to say Prince and Michael, but it's like, okay, there was this medicine or this drug and this did that. I was like, I can understand it. But like just in a helicopter crash for somebody so young, it's like, because it, usually there's, there's a pattern or there's something leading up to it yeah. that you can look back and say, okay, this led up to that. But the right. Kobe thing was literally just out of nowhere. 
I mean, bro, I was just getting something to eat after church, and I'm my phone starts blowing up, and it's sad that in this day and age, the first thing you think is fake news. Mm-hmm. But the more, the, but you, you'll see every now and then you'll see so many like random things about a celebrity die. I'm like, okay, this isn't real. Yeah. So that's it. especially Kobe on a Sunday morning. It's like no, for sure. And he was such an inspiration to me because he was born on August twenty third, nineteen seventy eight. I was born on October first, nineteen seventy eight. I mean, so our ages more. are like right within each other. And he started on his journey in the NBA about the same time I started. He was starting college at the time I was starting. I was starting college, excuse me, mm-hmm. at the time that he was starting in the NBA. And then I came, went to the ministry like a year after that. I mean, 1998. And 1998, he was making his first all star appearance. So there was a lot of, I mean, I felt like stepping into ministry with him stepping into the NBA, there was just a lot of commonality stepping into a grown was perceived as a grown man's world right and you know some people questioning whether or not you belong whether you have the skill set whether you have Mm -hmm. what it takes to exist in this world and him having to prove himself i mean there are even pictures where i had hair like kobe because he he was rocking the pro back then I mean, there is photographic evidence of it somewhere. I got to find it. <laughs> right, right, but it exists. But, but to see his journey, I mean, and to have to see him go from shooting air balls in Utah to the championships with Shaq to the mm-hmm. beef with Shaq to the allegations. on points. Yeah, the allegations in Colorado. To see him, like, persevere through all of that, I mean – and to give everything he had to, I mean, to have the finale of finales. Yeah, you're not lying, bro. Like, even Jordan didn't go out like that on that this that last game. Uh, I mean, and I watched Jordan's last game, and I watched Kobe's last game, and trust me, I mean, I was emotional. Like, think, think about it. The Golden State broke the record the same night. And nobody even really knew what happened until right. a week later. I mean, I saw like little blurb of the score. It was like, I don't care. Yeah. I mean, I ain't mad at them, but I'm just like, hey, that's my dog right here, Kobe. Mm-hmm. And to see what he was becoming as a man after basketball. Bro. I mean, the poem, yeah. Dear Basketball, the, 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 to win an Oscar. I mean, that, that's the thing that got to me. Well, not, not that's because for me, it was like, that's when he, I felt like as much, he would have been one of the few people where as much as he accomplished on the court, I think he would have had a career that rivaled it, if not surpassed it after basketball. And yeah. I think we were just being able, just beginning to see that. And even when you seen, like, even I remember the picture with no smile, like he was approaching now from a more mature and a fatherly role, but he was approaching coaching these young women and being in his daughter's lives the same way he was approaching basketball like with that type of focus and that type of drive like who knows what he was about to achieve and and set other people up to achieve and just to see how he grew at like i couldn't imagine being a father 
I, first and foremost, I couldn't imagine being a star, being an NBA, having all that money, having all that notoriety, being Kobe Bryant, having all these women chasing after me, and then have a whole family of women. Because I, I feel like no matter how, uh, you should always be a good man and a good husband, but like, I feel like you have to set an even higher example when you have four young women looking up Absolutely. to you. So you have all of that, and not only are you doing it, but you're exceeding it, and you are like, devoting your life to your children not your whole family but like to these young women and and he was like and, and a, a lot of and I don't want I don't want to be comparative but I hadn't seen I haven't seen a lot of fathers like dive into that fatherhood the way that I was seeing him do it so for that to happen and then the way it happened and who it happened with like that that is tough that is really really yeah, tough yeah and, and he was doing it with that mamba mentality like you said I mm -hmm. mean the way he approaches everything. I've read the book and he approach when you read his book, he's breaking down like this is how I would guard LeBron. This is how mm -hmm. I would guard Tracy McGrady. Like down to the details the of science. I, I would hook their arms a little bit. I mean, he's telling you mm -hmm. how he I mean, just that level of detail and mm -hmm. just like I had to, I mean, approach my recovery from mental illness with that same devotion because this was my life. I mean, absolutely either live or die very. And there's still a lot that I want to accomplish in this life. And there's still a lot that God has for me to do. So I had to approach it with that same veracity to that Kobe approaches basketball career with. So, that's why I study this thing. I mean, I'm, there was a, a pod, is like a webinar last week on minorities and mental illness that I need to catch up on and watch. So if mm -hmm. I see something on minorities and mental illness, I mean, I got to lock in on it. Right. Because that's oh, what sure. you're doing. Because it's like you have to educate yourself and educate yourself on your craft so that you can become an expert. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, so let's let's like I said, let's now let's hop into solutions. Like, what what can you and I do, and what can we as a whole do to help, just in general, with with people, and and more so, I guess. Well, for me, like I said, it's always about bringing the awareness and mm -hmm. to just mental illness and and depression and anxiety and all these things. Like, what 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 can be done on a on a ground level as an individual? I feel like we have to be honest about it mm -hmm. and be transparent which is as men we're not socialized to do that we're socialized Absolutely. to hold it in you know man up i mean i i, I have a love-hate relationship with that saying because yeah there is a time to quote unquote man up because sometimes you just got to do what you got to do but at the mm -hmm. same time manning up shouldn't mean that I have to hold everything that I'm feeling in right. to the point where I officially explode. Right. So we have to be transparent. We have to um, be accountable to each other. Um, we have to hold our leaders accountable to the environments that our young black men are growing up in because there's a generation of beat. There's there's a generation after us that's coming up, like our our nephews and things like that. We have to try to do what we can to make it better, 
to make the world better for them and be like, look, yes, I go get treatment. Yes, mm -hmm. I, if you take a medicine, yes, I take this medicine. Let me tell you why. I mean, but Absolutely. and tell you why I do certain things. Like, this is why I like practice breathing exercises, for example. Just explain those sorts of things because if we can be an example of how to handle ourselves as black men, we're going to raise up another generation of black men that knows how to better handle themselves. And we can break that chain of just um, anger. Yes. Start a new and, trend. And show them proper ways to deal with, you know, anger and stress. It'll be going to the gym. Mm -hmm. And you need to blow off some steam, go pick up the basketball, go hoop. Meditation, yoga, anything. Exactly. Know? I mean, those things are... Finding, finding healthy and constructive outlets for, for that energy or that frustration. Yeah, you know, writing. Go, yes. Take a... Go, go sit outside. I mean, like the old, our old, like our old folk used to do. They used to just go <laughs> sit out, the, sit out at the river, just sit, yeah. just be still. You know, so Absolutely. we need to teach them how to. We need to teach ourselves and teach each other how to deal with the struggles. And first of all, acknowledge that hey, we struggle. Yeah, it's okay. It's very true. Very true. All right, sir. So, because um, I don't even know this, when can we look out for the book? Is there a time frame? The time frame, I'm actually getting the cover, some cover work done because I want to mm -hmm. jazz up the cover a little bit. The time frame is uh, to have it out by the end of July because July is actually okay. July is actually Minority Mental Health Awareness Month. Really? All right, that's dope. Okay. Yeah. Um, where will we be able to find it? Uh, I'm a, it's going to be on Amazon. I'm doing the self-publishing thing. Um, mm -hmm. I have a Facebook called Darkness Births Light. Um, if you want to go there, that's when you're going to be. Able, I'm going to do a virtual launch event on there, um, okay. and there will be information about when that's going to happen. Given the environment that we're in, I want to do a live event. However. That may, may happen eventually, but hey, right. in the meantime, we're going to use technology's power for good mm -hmm. and, and put the word out. Um, it's not going to be an expensive book. It's not about me getting rich, but I just want people to be able to know that, hey, I'm making it. I ain't saying I made it. I mean... Yeah. And I think that's that's what life is, is is every day just making it. Yeah. I mean, I'm just doing the best I can, just like everybody else out here. Well, almost. <laughs> right, right, right. You know. All right, sir. So Darkness Birth Light is the name of the book. There is a Facebook page under the same name. There is. And um, we will go ahead. Um, I need to. I'm looking into getting on Instagram, getting an Instagram with it, but my Instagram is JLL1978, and I keep it all, I keep it positive on there. If you need some encouragement or something to laugh about, I'm usually keeping it, I'm keeping it positive on there because it's enough negativity out there. Very true. 
All right, bro. Well, we are going to look for this book in July and uh, do appreciate you doing this with me. Like I said, I, for, they don't know, but I told you before this started, I was a little nervous about this one just because this one meant a little more to me, uh, especially with like the gravity of things and what you're talking about in your book. But I'm definitely glad we did this. I, I am too, man. And it's like this, I'd love to come back and just do something, just, just talk about whatever, because I still Absolutely. want to you about working on the last dance because Oh man, yeah, yeah, we're gonna have to come back on that one. That was soon. I mean, just do something about that was so dope. <laughs> yeah, and, that was an interesting time. And you worked with my man BJ Armstrong directly. Or we get the building. Oh yeah. No, oh, yeah, no, no, I know BJ. I mean uh, BJ's my dude, man. Oh yeah, no, he's a good dude. He got an hour. I told him right now he looks like a young Frederick Douglass. If you look look at his podcast, he got an afro right now. I gotta check his podcast out because he looked—he was the babyface assassin back in the day. Oh, he still—he still got the babyface. He looked like he, he was about forty. Yeah. But right now, when he grow that hair out in that gray show, I was like, oh yeah, you looking like a—I uh, say ex-slave, but yeah. He got the COVID hair. No, he yeah—he he basically got the Kobe afro, but like Kobe at fifty. Oh lord. <laughs> but yeah, we will come back soon and we'll talk basketball. We'll talk. Cause do you? Are you still doing your podcast? The, the the ones you, with your guy, um, we put that on kind of a high Over right now. Through, I mean, he was going through some things on his with his, within himself, but I we're looking understand. at bringing that back once that world gets back to normal. True, that is true because there's not a lot of content to talk about. Hey, I even talk about some WWE in the book because hey, I'm trying be trying to live my best life out there. Oh man, no! You talking to somebody that grew up on a Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, and, and Macho Man Randy Savage, and then then Stone Cold and The Rock. So I, I understand. Oh yeah. So. Okay. But yeah, so we'll we'll have a lot to talk about on the next one. For sure. All right, bro. I appreciate you. Um, I will hit you soon offline, and I will keep an eye out for this book, and I'm going to share where I can when I can. All right, everybody, that was another episode. Uh, I, I really was actually nervous going into this one just because, like I said, it did mean a lot to me. I've known this man for a long time, and he and I have had a lot of the same struggles, uh, though he speaks about them a lot more than I have. I will in the not-too-distant future, but I do think this conversation was important to have and to share with you guys, and hopefully if you know anybody that's dealing with anything that could uh, benefit from hearing this conversation, please share it. I will make sure that I have all his links and maybe I can track down some of those links for the mental um, health awareness for minorities as well. But in the meantime, keep you guys or you guys keep yourself safe and keep each other safe. And I will see you guys again soon.